Welcome to In the Wake with Whitley. Here on this podcast, we cover mental health, life lessons, mindset growth, and tons of storytelling. Together, we'll laugh, we'll cry, and everything in between. I'm your host, Whitley Rogers. I'm a certified life coach and mental health advocate. I'm also a survivor of sexual and mental abuse. I'm here to open up those conversations that are normally uncomfortable or hush-hush in society. Keep listening for bits and pieces of my personal journey and insights along with other interviewees. Hi, I am back. It's been a while. I took a two-month break from releasing any episodes because I needed to take care of myself and make my mental health and well-being my first priority before I could get back into the routine and tons of hard work that goes into podcasting. And it feels like it's been years since I've done this, and I've truly missed it, and I'm glad to be back. So I've taken almost a six-month break, four months living in Thailand, and actually about two months readjusting after being home because I had prepared a bunch of pre-recorded episodes beforehand. So I haven't gotten on here and shared my thoughts regarding my time in Thailand at all. So brace yourself. This episode might be all over the place. Because honestly, how do you sum up five months into one hour? I don't know. We'll see if it's possible. Also, you guys... Happy one-year anniversary. It has been a full year of podcasting, and In the Wake is officially one years old. And that blows my mind. I'm filled with gratitude and love for all of you listening who have supported me along the way and given me the time of day. I couldn't have done it without the constant drive from my consistent listeners who really motivate and inspire me. I love you all. If you want to share the love, please write a rating and review below. I would really appreciate it. And I'm excited to continue this journey and grow and spread even further. So exciting. I can't believe it's been that long. Anyway, I think this episode may be more for myself as a way to force myself to process what happened while living abroad. And I'm just planning on talking about the good, the bad, the ugly, just all the significant things I experienced and the growth that happened within me and the ugly truths and realities behind the pretty pictures. You know, all my favorite things to share because all anyone really knows about my time in Thailand is the few pictures and stories that I posted on Instagram other than my close circle of loved ones who got my daily updates on Marco Polo. (laughs) I miss my fans. (laughs) The picture that is painted of Thailand is one of shallow depth, really, and it's not the entire picture. So with that, let's dive in. Thailand threw me for a loop. It was not what I expected in so many ways, but it was more than I could have ever imagined as well. It surprised me, basically. So first, I want to start off by reading a blog post entry I wrote 
about what it took to even get myself to Thailand because I think that's a relevant place to start and most people have no idea the backstory and work it took to get myself there. This took months and months of preparation, you guys. So I wrote, in all honesty, I applied to move to Thailand almost as an act of rebellion at first. I had two years of high school stolen from me by my abusive boyfriend. My teenage fun, all that stuff that happens in the movies, wasn't a reality or even a possible reality for me. My youth, my innocence, and my freedom was taken from me when I was under the tight control of my abuser. He made my decisions. He chose what I liked and didn't like. He dictated who surrounded me. He tore me down to break me up again. He destroyed everything that was me. If he didn't approve, it just wasn't in the cards for me. But once I was free from his spell, I cut him completely from my life. I started with a fresh, clean slate. I felt like I was being reborn into a brand new life. As I saw the world from a whole different perspective, my own two eyes instead of through his, I wanted to try everything. I wanted to experience every little thing I missed out on while I was in that deep, dark hole. I, I wanted my life back, so I took it back. I decided to choose myself. I chose to listen to my needs. I chose to take care of my body and spirit. I chose to find my passions. And I chose to follow my dreams endlessly. And it landed me here. When a friend of mine half-jokingly, half-seriously asked if I wanted to apply to move to Thailand with her, I immediately was all in. This was just what I needed. It was a way to show my abuser that I was capable of doing big things in this world, that I had a voice, a strength, a power of my own, that he did not control me any longer. But even more importantly, showing myself that those same things were possible and true. It was me rebelling from his grasp and control over me and my life and doing something for myself. That's the reason I researched and sent in that application. I didn't tell my parents or anyone because of that fact, and I waited to see if I got accepted. I did. Then I got interviewed twice. So I panicked and told my parents, who laughed and were skeptical about how I was going to pull this off. There I was, a broke 17-year-old girl, freshly out of a severely abusive relationship with intense anxiety, panic attacks, deep depression, trauma, and multiple suicide attempts, not asking but telling her parents she was moving across the world in half a year. It didn't sound too appealing to anyone close willing to listen. Side note, at the time it was half a year that I had applied to leave, but I pushed it back when I decided to no longer graduate early and live out the rest of my senior year. So I went the following fall a year and a half later. Anyway. But once my heart is set on something, there really is no stopping me. I had to show them that I was capable of doing this, that I could be my own person. I needed to do something for me, 
and I so badly wanted to do this. I needed to. It felt like an act of survival. In order to heal from this horror, I needed to find myself again. I needed to follow my heart's desires. I needed to experience the world. I needed to finally become independent and do things on my own without my abuser, without my parents, without my circle of comfort. So I worked my ass off to get myself here. Every area of my life needed a bit of help before I could just move away to another country. I immediately got a job. I worked extra hours. I came in early. I stayed later. I took on large projects. I worked to the best of my abilities, and I never quit the dedication and hard work. I was the person who filled that position longer than anyone had before. Previous people had ended up getting fired. I took on small side jobs, little pockets of cash here and there, wherever I could find it. If I wanted to travel, I needed money, and I wasn't going to get that from my parents. Either way, I didn't want it from my parents. I needed to do this for myself. I paid the deposit. I paid for the passport. I paid for the insurance. I paid for my international phone plan. I paid the monthly checks. I paid all the fees thrown my way in order to get myself in this program. I needed to pay the fees, but I also needed lots of extra spending money to get myself around while abroad. I saved up every last penny, and here I am with more than enough. And it has never felt so spectacular to spend money on anything but this. But I didn't just need to work hard for money. I needed to work hard on my mental and emotional health in order to be trusted to do this alone. My therapist, my psychiatrist, my parents, I had to get all of them to believe and know with a surety that I was capable of doing this. But I was in a place that you could call rock bottom when I made the decision to apply. I felt broken. I felt defeated. I felt hopeless. I was spinning directionless with no personal compass pointing me how to get out. But I fought. I stared that depression right in the face. I wrestled with the anxiety. I let the trauma teach me. I went to therapy appointment after therapy appointment. I read book after book on mental health, on abuse, on healing, on bettering yourself. I listened to all the self-help gurus through podcasts, workshops, coaching, and social media. I listened. I educated myself. I soaked it all in. But not only that, I applied it to myself. I did the inner work. And through that healing, I found something I was passionate about. I found my purpose. I found that I had a voice and I wanted to speak my truth. My psychiatrist told me that she has never seen someone turn their life around so quickly, having seen the things I had gone through. I made huge amounts of progress in such little time. She told me I had learned and applied concepts that grown adults haven't understood nor applied to their lives yet. I was dedicated to my personal growth and improvement. No one was in my way anymore. I had 
purpose behind all of it. I needed to be stable enough to move, to leave the country, to do things on my own for once. And then as soon as I could function as a human, I had to work at being an adult human. (laughs) Adulting is hard. I couldn't rely on my parents for everything anymore. I was completely and utterly dependent on them during the dark depths of my depression. I couldn't even eat a single meal unless they made it and forced me to eat it. I wouldn't take my meds unless they handed out my single dose for the day. I didn't have access to my own car keys unless I was passed off as stable enough. In that state, I would never leave the house, but I didn't want to stay in that place. I needed to spread my wings and fly far away, so I had a lot of growing up to do. I had to show them that I could function as an adult in society. So I created a method to track and save my money. I started paying for my own gas and car bills when my car broke. I made sure I was getting three meals a day, even if I needed to go out and buy myself something. If I wanted to travel on my own, I had to figure it out. In the past, when I traveled outside of the country, it was with my parents, and my dad did all the behind-the-scenes work, which... I have a much deeper appreciation for that after going through all of it. It's hard and it's really stressful. But there I was, turning in my documents to get my visas approved, passport photos taken, registering with a foreign embassy, checking vaccinations, getting power of attorney documents, researching my new home. The list seemed endless. I had lists upon lists of everything I needed to buy, everything I needed to bring, and everything I needed to do before I left. I was prepared so thoroughly that nerves were hardly even a thing. I felt like an adult. I felt so confident in my decision. By this point, I knew I was capable of doing big things like this. So here I am almost a month into living in Thailand, and I could not be happier. I did it. I got myself here. I am doing it. When you see those pretty pictures from my time in the land of Thai, just know that they have a backstory. I have a backstory. It wasn't an easy, breezy journey getting to where I am, but I am here. Oh man, that hits the feels. I read my own words, and I'm blown away by how powerful I am, you guys. Sometimes I can't even believe it, reflecting on how far I've come. Okay, (laughs) moving on. So for those of you that don't know, I will give a little explanation as to what I was even doing there before I speak into my actual experience living there. So... I lived as a volunteer abroad in Thailand where I was teaching kids English. So I lived in this little room at this kindergarten school with three other roommates and then 12 girls total at the school. We taught the youngest kids from one years old to six years old. So it was really like nursery age, and then there was pre-K, and then three levels of kindergarten. 
So I taught K-1, which was ages two to three, and I taught them for two hours in the morning, and then I would get a two-hour break for lunch, and then I taught for two more hours in the afternoon to my K-3 kids, who were ages five to six. And we would teach those four hours a day, Monday through Friday, and we would rotate the subject we taught each week between arts and crafts, drama, shop, gym, kitchen, and games. Then we would have weekends off and then certain vacation days. So on top of teaching, I had the opportunity to travel around and explore different parts of Thailand because we were living in a very local city. It wasn't touristy at all. And we were the only white people in our small corner of Thailand. But we traveled to bigger cities and tourist destinations that were beautiful. And then we also were able to travel to three outside countries as well. So on top of Thailand, I visited Bali, Cambodia, and Vietnam. And then during the week, after classes got out at 3 p.m., we would have the rest of the day to do whatever we wanted and hang out in our town. So we had a lot of free time outside of teaching, but teaching was our main priority and we could not skip classes or be lazy about it. Like everything else were perks, but our main focus was supposed to be educating the kids. And oh my gosh, you guys, teaching these kids was my purpose and became my pride and joy. When I commit to something, I am going to put my heart and soul into it. And I just loved teaching, which was one aspect as to how Thailand totally surprised me. Because if I'm being completely honest, I signed up for this program as an opportunity to see the world and travel and live abroad. I was not signing up for the kids. That was just a side hustle that would get me to my dreams. <laughs> but once I got there, that was not the case. I loved teaching my kids. I loved planning and prepping the cutest lessons for them and then getting to play with them and get them to speak English with me and be silly. It was the best thing ever. And I was always sad saying goodbye for the weekend or live, leaving on a vacation and I would have withdrawals and just looked forward to being back with my kids and if I wasn't with my kids I was talking about my kids or going through pictures and videos of my kids or prepping for my kids like I devoted myself to them and I miss them so much it hurts I think I've almost been putting this episode off because I know bringing up these memories and processing my life in Thailand will just make the, me miss them so much more. And it truly breaks my heart. I would do anything for one last hug. But continuing that, I want to compare maybe my expectations versus what my real experience was like because they are very different in some ways but similar in others. So when I went to training before I even set foot in Thailand, they kind of had these reality checks for us. They explained how our experience wasn't going to be just like 
all the Instagram pictures. It wouldn't be all fun and games and happy and traveling all the time. And for some reason, that hit me really hard. I almost subconsciously expected Thailand to be a four-month high, just on top of the world the entire time. But that was far from the truth. And I think I subconsciously expected that because all I knew about Thailand was from the Instagram pictures, from the past volunteers. But as they explained this reality, they talked about how how real culture shock was going to be and jet lag and how hard it is to teach small children that don't speak hardly a lick of English and the language barrier that is frustrating as hell. And they literally said to us, expect to cry every single day for the first week or two. So I think that was really refreshing to hear a couple weeks before we went because then I was able to readjust my expectations and acknowledge that even though it was going to be a foreign country, didn't mean that all of the normal aspects to life wouldn't still apply. I would still struggle. I would still have bad days and breakdowns and all that jazz. And I actually hadn't cried until about a month in. All the other girls, like my roommates, had cried multiple times a week, but I wasn't experiencing homesickness or any of the other feelings they described, especially those first two months. And I wasn't experiencing culture shock. But I think both of those things attributed to the resilience that I had built up. I wasn't feeling homesick because... I had been waiting for this day for so long and preparing myself in so many ways. And so I wasn't longing to go home because I felt that I was right where I was supposed to be. And I was content and confident in my decision and circumstances. And then I also had traveled so much before this. I mean, of course it was different because I was living there And it was without my family or any friends that I had beforehand, but I wasn't experiencing the culture shock of a new country and culture like some of the other girls were. I had spent three weeks in Argentina a couple months beforehand and immersed myself in the culture I came from. So it really was comfortable and not anything that felt too new to me. Anyway, The point is, I was really proud of myself for adjusting so smoothly the first month, but then we had this collective breakdown. So let me set up this picture for you. I'd left my room to go call my best friend, and I was gone for over an hour or so, and I was in such a good mood afterwards, just high on life, and I go back to my room, and holy hell, you guys. The air was tense. My roommates, along with some other girls, were in there. And I walked into this quiet room, and they looked like they had all seen a ghost or something. And I was so confused. So basically what happened was, the first month in Thailand, a group of eight of us had gotten together and planned out all of our vacations according to our days off teaching for the entire Four months. Four months of vacations 
all planned out, where we were going, things on our bucket list, what we wanted to do, where we would stay, how we would get there, all those details. And we had almost every weekend filled with a different destination in mind, besides maybe two weekends. And we wanted to go to three other countries besides Thailand. And we got in so excited about all these trips we had planned. But apparently, <laughs> no one thought to budget out these vacations and take into consideration costs of everything we had planned on doing. So on this very night, one of the girls was curious and started going through our plans and putting numbers to things, just lowballing everything to see what the bare minimum it would cost to just eat, sleep, and travel. And when she got the final total, it kind of shocked her. And then she shared it with the rest of the group and the total amount was more money than some of the girls even brought with them in the first place. And at this point, we were already a month in, so that number was even lower at that point. So basically, it threw us all into a panic and a depression. Girls were panicking about how much money everything was and not having enough to even scrape by on these vacations and having to pick and choose which ones they would have to cancel or miss out on after planning the entire thing and getting so excited over them and hopes up. And then it hit us all like a truck. I'm not kidding you when I say there were eight of us in that room just annoyed and frustrated and so sad and it was heavy. I was laying on the ground just trying to breathe and hold back the tears because I'm naturally an empath and so I take on other people's emotions. I take on their heaviness and panic even if it's not necessarily my own and girls felt like they were going to throw up and there were four of us having panic attacks sobbing, hyperventilating all at the same time. And we're all just like laying on the ground in my room, collectively panicking. But everyone started to separate into different parts of the school to call home and cry or ask for money. (laughs) It was a mess. It's kind of funny looking back on it because, I mean, we really set ourselves up for that one, planning without a budget. But oh my hell. That was the longest night of the entire four months. It sucked. And I wasn't necessarily on the same page as the other girls. My panic attack was for some similar, but also different reasons in that I wasn't crying or panicking over not having enough money for vacations. When I had said I prepared myself extensively, I also prepared myself financially for this. I paid my entire way to Thailand. I paid the initial $2,500 program fee, plus fees for insurance, phone plans, etc., all the little details that add up, as well as saving up more than enough money for spending on vacation and transportation and food and souvenirs while I was living there plus a safety net of extra money to help me get back on my feet for when I got home. I had gotten a job around the same time I applied for this program because I knew my parents weren't going to just dish out $5,000 for me to go live abroad for four months. So I saved every last penny. 
And I worked really, really hard knowing I had this goal in mind and wanted to get myself there. Whereas most of the other girls in my same group had the program fees paid by their parents. And this was sort of a graduation trip or whatever. Everyone has a different story as to why they were there. And then they would have their own spending money and didn't have enough for the freedom to do everything we had planned and wanted to do while there. Anyway, my panic was around the sense of losing control and the harsh realities breaking the dreams of my expectations. I've talked about this in previous episodes, but some of my anxiety issues are centered around not having control of outside circumstances. I spiral into this place of panic when things seem to be spinning outside of my control. So I couldn't control the fact that other girls didn't have enough money, which then caused for some vacations to be canceled because not enough girls could budget to make those vacations happen. And the rule through the ILP program was you needed at least three people going on a vacation for it to be approved. So I wasn't able to travel by myself, but I also was forced to cancel some endeavors that I could afford, yet wasn't able to actually go on for reasons, again, outside circumstances that were out of my control. And so that was really hard. And then the other factor to my panic being the realities crushing my expectations. Expectations are so hard for me. And I've worked extensively in therapy to evaluate and reevaluate my expectations going into so many things in life because I kept finding myself in a sea of disappointment and heartache over and over again. But I guess I wasn't able to catch myself in this situation on how I was setting myself up with these unrealistic expectations because when we had planned all these beautiful fun vacations, I got myself so excited over each one and really hyped myself up and didn't check myself on what that looked like in reality or what it would look like if that didn't pan out how we had planned. So it was a night of heartache in trying to cope with the mess we found ourselves in and I had that panic attack And then we had a really tense week sifting through which vacations to cancel and what to splurge on and what needed to go the cheapest route. And honestly, that collective meltdown taught me so many valuable lessons and stretched me in ways I didn't know I needed to grow in. But it was hard in the moment. And I know to some of you, this story might sound like I was acting spoiled and being upset or ungrateful. Because I was in a beautiful country, even having the opportunity to travel, et cetera, et cetera, whatever the stories may be. But honestly, I worked my ass off to get myself to Thailand, and those close to me can vouch for that. And I had not only been dreaming, but working and waiting for this moment for well over a year, many, many months. I had needed what my experience in Thailand had to offer so badly. And the thought of being deprived from some of the experience I had worked so hard to even have just wrecked me. 
I was so scared that what was going to happen was that I'd be in Thailand, but quote, waste my time there and not get to seize every opportunity available and have to almost be held back because other girls couldn't make it work, which was me catastrophizing a bit because honestly, I don't feel like I was really deprived all that much of experiences and I got to travel to most of the places I had originally dreamed of. And I had a session with my therapist and I was able to shift my mindset and focus on what remains rather than what I was missing out on and really soaking up what I did have instead of crying over what I what I lost. Anyway, my point of that story is that one, traveling is not easy. It's not as easy breezy as it looks. I know all the beautiful Instagram pictures make it look like the best time in the world But there are so many stressful background details and there are many lows that come with traveling and many bumps in the road that happen along the way. And then two, that if I let my expectations go unchecked, they just cause me disappointment in my experience and and in myself and in my reality, even if they do turn out great or better than imagined. If I cling to those expectations with no freedom or flexibility, then I am setting myself up for failure and disappointment. So I can dream, but I have to have flexibility for those dreams to manifest how they are supposed to, even if it's not exactly what I originally imagined. And you know what? After all that preparation, waiting for the day to be in Thailand, it felt like everyone around me was moving on to what was next. Like, check, I'm here, I made it to Thailand, now I'm logging to go home and counting down the days until I get to go home because that's what's next now. And that was really frustrating for me because I wanted to soak up the now, the present moment. But when you have voices around you doing the opposite, it's really hard. And I wrote an Instagram post on this because it caught me down some days when girls would talk about going home because I just wanted to talk about what we were going to do that day. So here's what I wrote. You see, I lived my life waiting for this moment, always counting down the days and daydreaming of life abroad and all the things I wanted to do in Thailand. And now that I'm here, I count down the days of coming home and daydream of everything I want to do when I get back. But that's the thing. I've found that as humans, as a whole, we are never satisfied with what we have in the present moment. We always want what we don't have, whether that's from the past or the future. Either way, wasting away the seconds we have in the present. That once we've received the thing we always wanted, it's no longer desirable and we're moving on to the next thing because before we've even appreciated what we were given in the present moment. I've had loved ones from home express how jealous they are of my life in Thailand, jealous of all the travel and vacations, jealous of all the new people I get to meet and my adorable kids I get to teach, jealous of the excitement of experiencing foreign foods and cultures and lifestyles, Jealous of the glamorous Instagrammable adventures. Jealous of the tropical climate and beautiful warm weather. But the ironic thing is, 
I'm jealous of where they are in life. Jealous that they have the luxuries of a real bed, filling food, fast internet, and a comfortable home to come back to every night. Jealous that they are close enough to hug their mom or best friend when times get tough. Jealous of the familiarity and stability of school, working, alone time, routines, and schedules. Jealous of the privilege of spending holidays surrounded by your family instead of alone in a foreign country without said holidays. Jealous of the changing seasons and cuddling up in layers. And taking a step back, seeing the comparison and unsatisfied nature this creates, I've relearned the importance of gratitude and mindfulness of the present moment. I am working on enjoying and soaking up the place I am in right now. Because before I know it, it will be a part of my past, and I'll never get that moment back again. Because once it is gone... I may desire having it back again and regret not appreciating what I had while I had it. I am practicing being grateful for what my life is in this moment. And that holds true even now. And being mindful in my daily life is something I have to work at every minute, every hour of every day, or else I can find myself ungrateful for what I currently have and wishing for something bigger or brighter even though the way my life looks now is because I fought so hard to get myself here. So I want to talk about some of the lows and the things that I struggled with on a daily basis in Thailand. So after reflecting, I believe that I went into survival mode after who knows how long. At some point, I didn't feel like the environment I was in was a safe place to express and fully feel my emotions. Whether it was true or not, my subconscious self almost made up its mind about that from the get-go and stuck to that sense of simply getting by the rest of the time. I went into this emotional and mental survival mode instead of nourishing and caring for my emotional health. So I numbed a lot in Thailand because that's what my survival mode is avoiding and distracting from any sort of feeling which led to almost a four-month thunk or depression because I wasn't ever hardly acknowledging my emotions and so of course it would boil up and explode at certain points and I would cry and have a mini breakdown but for the most part I was just not allowing myself to feel those so-called negative emotions. And life ebbs and flows, of course. There were many points where I was able to unleash that sheer joy or tap into my, quote, negative emotions through writing or talking with someone close to me. But for the most part, going day to day, I didn't allow my emotions to be free. And that was really, really hard. It held me back from doing things that I loved during my many hours of free time, like painting and creating and writing and reading and podcasting and yoga, etc. Because if I'm not tapping into my emotions and listening to my inner self, then I have no desire to do the things that fill up my soul. And I did those things from time to time, 
but not as regularly and as much as I could have and not as much as I would have liked to because without emotions and passion, there's no driving or pushing force for me to do the things that make me feel good. Because I was numbing them out and not tapping into them or, or listening to them, I drowned them out with many hours of Netflix and social media scrolling. I'm not even going to tell you how many Netflix series I finished while in Thailand because it's quite embarrassing and I've never watched Netflix as regularly and <laughs> often as that, but... If I'm being honest with you about my feelings now, I feel ashamed about it. But I'm working through giving myself grace and doing the best I could given the circumstances and environment I was in. But of course, I tend to be really hard on myself and put a lot of pressure and expectations on myself. And I had a lot of expectations going into Thailand as to what I would do with all my free time. And I really didn't get to do all that stuff and that's hard for me still to reflect on and accept with grace and self-love. And then a second thing I really struggled with on the daily was this feeling of loneliness and isolation. I'm not sure what I really expected for my relationships to look like while I was abroad, but let me tell you it was hard because all the relationships I had before I left, all my inner circle of people, they were deep, soulful connections. They got me. They were my people, and they truly saw me for who I was. These weren't surface-level, high school-type relationships. And so even before I left, I didn't expect anyone in my life to give me all their time and attention or to respond to my texts 24-7 or anything like that. My relationships were flexible and understanding and we connected in person, free from our phones, and just talked and gave each other 100%. And I would prefer my friends to be present with the people they are physically with and to soak up that time rather than be on their cell phones answering my silly texts or calls. But it can be hard to maintain that soulful connection when you don't have the ability to physically be with that person. It also makes it hard when you are on very opposite time zones and living in different countries. And so I knew that life at home didn't pause because I was gone. But some days it felt like Everyone back home forgot I even existed. You know, out of sight, out of mind. And I would get really sad and lonely because no one really talked to me from back home besides my mom, who would call me every day and never missed a good night text. But I remember crying over it or like crying myself to sleep because I was just really sad and really lonely and felt forgotten about. And that sort of led to some self-sabotaging on my part because, of course, things were changing and my life would not look the same after I came home. People were moving on and continuing forward instead of staying stagnant, and that's to be expected, of course. I would want nothing else for the world and for the people in my life. 
but change almost triggers my anxiety reflexes. And the word and feeling of change is linked to bad in my mind. And I'm trying to unlearn that. But if I'm not consciously doing that, it sneaks up on me and my subconscious conditioning takes over. So, of course, people back home kept living their lives and didn't just put everything on pause because Whitley was gone. (laughs) But that was something that was hard for me to accept because it felt like my life was moving on without me. And things were growing and changing. And it created this fear that I was being left behind. So then the self-sabotaging came in when I was desperately trying to hold on to and grasp anything and everything to keep it the same and prevent it from moving on. I was trying to control these outside circumstances from evolving and changing because it provoked anxiety in me and it scared me and it also hurt me. I was comfortable with the life I left before I came to Thailand and I guess I almost subconsciously expected to come home to that same state in life. I mean I loved my circle of people and I loved my routines and the place my relationships were in for the most part and The thought of those no longer existing and being replaced with something new and possibly improved just made me depressed. Of course, I was in this self-sabotaging cycle of trying to prevent change until I explained that feeling to my therapist. And she just said to me, Whitley, if you could have a say and that kind of power and control, external things, you would never change a single thing. And I was like, well, yeah, duh. (laughs) Who would want to change anything? And she just said, you know, you would never grow if things always stayed the same. You would stay stagnant, and that's boring and a cowardly way to live. And of course, I hated hearing that. She always calls me out on my BS, and I'm grateful for it because it's what I need to hear even when I don't want to. But this is one of the biggest ways I grew, was surrendering that sense of control and allowing myself to let go of the outside circumstances and just accept how it was. Because the moment I stopped resisting those changes was the moment I was able to learn to tolerate and soon after like and even love this new phase of life for how it is. And it was definitely met with some grieving of the death of my old way of living, but I finally allowed myself permission to meet change with open arms. And then the last hardship I faced while living abroad, I want to share just briefly because I'm going to do most likely multiple podcast episodes on it later. But anyway, before going to Thailand, I was living in a state of denial for a long, long time. I was pushing things aside and just ignoring this deep itch within my soul because it seemed too big and too daunting and I never even cared to acknowledge or face it head on because honestly, it just seemed too exhausting and I didn't want to take it on. But I finally looked it right in the eyes and unpacked it 
while halfway into my Thailand experience. I couldn't handle shoving it under the rug anymore. I was done running and I was done hiding from my truth. So I'll stop beating around the bush and talking in metaphors. But basically, I had a full blown faith crisis. And right along with that came an identity crisis. And it was close to one of the hardest things for me to accept and go through and continue to go through now. And I know I'm speaking so vaguely on this subject because I'm just not ready to fully open up on this because I'm still very much in the thick of it. But I promise I do have big plans to talk about it. I'm constantly writing my thoughts on it every single day. But for now, all I will say is that it consumed so much of me that last half of Thailand. And I was just floundering and spinning in circles and trying to find a grip on anything. And I'm still consumed by this crisis of both faith and identity. I am exploring new depths to my spirituality and what that looks like. I'm unlearning and unbecoming everything that I no longer identify with and returning to my true self and who I feel I'm meant to be. And it's such a painful process. And it's so hard to even put into words, but this is a big reason why I have not released an episode for a couple months. I haven't been able to dedicate any of my energy to this because it's been all encompassed by this transition and awakening. So that's all I'm going to say, but so much growth came from finally biting it in the butt. And that's a big thing I didn't expect to come out of my Thailand experience. But I think it was meant to play out in that fashion. And I don't think I would be able to face it if I hadn't been disconnected from my old world and way of living. I would have just kept ignoring it and being too busy to give it the time of day. So I'm super grateful I had the time and energy in Thailand to open up that door and start that journey. So now let's talk about the best part of Thailand. My kids. Oh, I miss them so much, you guys. They were my pride and joy. I almost don't even want to tell you about them and just keep them for myself. Like I think I've said, I signed up for this program because I wanted to travel and to see the world. And it was the cheapest way I could find to do that. I would be provided a room and, and meals for four months with the ability to travel around to other countries. And the only catch was that I had to give up a couple hours of my day to speak English with some kids. And I thought, okay, not bad, not bad, I can do that. But I wasn't really a kid person before Thailand. And I don't mean <laughs> I hated kids. I liked them. I tolerated them. I thought they were cute from a distance, but it definitely gave me anxiety to like hold babies or take care of other people's kids. I hated babysitting and I gave up on that pretty early when my younger sister, who was more bossy and more motherly and therefore a better babysitter. So she just naturally stole all my babysitting gigs. But anyway, besides the point, I was not good with kids. Other people, like my best friend, for instance, seemed to just have this natural way with children. And she was so good at talking to them and playing with them and caring for them. And I didn't understand how she just did that. 
I didn't know how to talk to a kid. Like, what do you even say? (laughs) So you get my point. And I did not expect to be a good teacher. I thought that teaching was going to be my biggest challenge in my whole experience. But boy, was I wrong. The first day was absolute chaos in the classroom. And actually, I take that back. More like the first week or two weeks. The kids were just so excited and jumping off the walls. And they were really, really young. So they didn't listen to a single thing I said. I mean, they didn't understand hardly a thing I said. I learned that all the lessons I had planned for that first week were way too complicated with the language barrier, and they weren't going to be able to follow along. It was going right over their heads. And boy, I was completely exhausted after classes. Like, I felt like I needed to sleep for 12 hours to recover. Actually, those first weeks in Thailand, my roommates and I were seriously going to sleep at 7 p.m., I kid you not. But the first week brought chaos, from kids jumping on the table to screaming instead of singing to calling me teach a butthole to a child saying the F word multiple times, kids hitting each other, a girl coloring her lips blue, Literally anything you can think of happened. I definitely don't want to paint the picture that it was all sunshine and rainbows all the time. But once I got into the groove of my classroom and got to know each of my individual kids and how they tick and become more comfortable in my position, I looked forward to it every day. I started to love it. And we we had a head teacher which is someone who already had gone through the program for at least one semester. And they were there to look after and instruct all the new teachers. And I really took all her suggestions to heart. I soaked up her wisdom from being a teacher through IOP and also a forest school preschool teacher back home. So I asked questions in our meetings, and I listened to the answers, and I wanted to continue bettering myself as a teacher each week. And I think I wouldn't have enjoyed it as much if I hadn't taken it as seriously as I did. But man, I loved being a teacher to my Thai babies. I loved getting to spend my four hours with them, and they really started to become the highlight of my days and just boosted my spirit so many times. And honestly, they were all my favorites. <laughs> it changed every day. One day it was the angel students that made teaching so easy and just excelled in their English. They were my favorites. But also the shy and quiet kids that were a challenge to get to speak. They were my favorite. They were so precious. And I wanted to squeeze them. And even the naughty troublemakers had a special place in my heart, and they really had me wrapped around their finger. And if you go watch my Instagram highlight called Thai Babies, you can really get a glimpse into the roller coaster of highs and lows that teaching brought. And I just watched the highlight before this, and you can really see how much they grew in four months. It's insane. The videos at the beginning, I am mostly the one doing the talking, with minimal response. But by the end, they were speaking English candidly, and even my babies, who were two to three years old, their vocabulary was so much more advanced. And you can seriously see that difference in the few highlights that I posted. 
And that was and still is so rewarding. They became my purpose and my passion. I let go of all other ideas I had for what my purpose was. And I just accepted that in this chapter of my life, my purpose was to be with and teach and learn from these kids. And it just filled me up with joy, getting them to speak and seeing the happiness and excitement that they embodied. And whenever people ask about Thailand, I always say, I went for the travel, but I stayed for the kids. And the kids were truly my most favorite part. Even just from my simple day-to-day interactions with them, I learned so much about the joys and purpose to life. And one day, One of my favorite stories, one day at the end of class, we were counting tickets, which, side note, if they spoke full sentences of English, they would get little red tickets. And at the end of the day, we'd count all those tickets up. And then on Fridays, they could cash in their tickets for prizes. So one day we were counting tickets, and I had two little girls who were best friends. And so I counted I was, and she had maybe 15 tickets. So they high-five each other, and then I counted her friend Nightingale's, and she had probably double the amount of tickets. But instead of getting sad or pouting over the fact that her friend had more tickets, Iowa was so excited. And she jumped up and cheered and gave Nightingale the biggest squeeze, lifting her up off her feet. And she was so proud of her friend. It wasn't a competition to her. And their pure interactions taught me that I'm not in competition or in comparison with those around me. I'm doing my best, and they're doing their best, and I'm just here to support and love and cheer them on. Or another favorite story is that just touched my heart was when all of a sudden during class, my, my five-year-old ton lost a tooth. It was barely hanging on by a thread. He was pretty snuggle-toothed, so it just popped out and started bleeding, and everyone got so excited for him, and then they were all opening their mouths really wide and examining each other's teeth and counting them and telling me how many teeth they've lost and showing me how wiggly they were. (sighs) They're just so, so precious, so pure, and I love how excited they got over the smallest things. Or, oh my gosh, every time it rained, it poured just immensely. And so all my kids would jump up and run to the window to watch. And I wouldn't get mad at them for ignoring the lesson because we had to be resilient and just go with the flow in the classroom as to which direction the kids were taking it. But one time my class opened the window because they wanted to feel the air and hear the raindrops and entertaining their curiosity like that got the most English out of them ever. They had so much to say about the sky and the clouds and the trees and the earth. And even though it rained so often there, every single time it did, they still had the same amount of excitement and curiosity and wonder as if it was the first time they were ever experiencing it. And I really love that. I often try to live my life as if I had that childlike wonder and moving through life as if I were experiencing it for the first time. Because one, it keeps me mindful and very present in the moment. But 
it also fills me with a deeper appreciation for the things around me that I take for granted and I don't even notice anymore because I'm just too busy. Anyway, I could go on and on with stories about my kids, but this podcast is already getting pretty long, so I'll cut it at that. But I had so much love for my kids. And saying goodbye was one of the hardest things I had to do. It broke my heart, truly. And I mean it when I say that. The last two weeks of teaching, I would get super emotional in class, knowing those were some of my last moments with them. And I'd have to hold back tears. But when I couldn't, my kids loved on me. And that was one of the only places I felt safe to express and feel my emotions was with my kids. I had to be pretty upbeat and happy to keep their attention during a lesson, but they could tell when I was sad underneath and they, they would just shower me with extra love. There would be times when I was in the middle of a lesson just teaching and all of a sudden a kid would know you know, they had the instinct that I needed a hug. So he'd run up out of his chair and give me a big old hug. And then like it was a competition or a game, everyone else would run up too to give me a hug and kisses on the cheek and they're all fighting to hug me harder. Or they'd tell me after every sentence, I love you, teacher wit. Teacher wit, so beautiful. And my little kids, they didn't understand what it meant when I tried to explain that I was going home to America. They still felt my sadness and loved on me, but my older kids could comprehend it better, and they expressed their own sadness and told me I couldn't leave. And those last few weeks, I soaked up everything they did and said, and I was super present in my teaching. But I had many breakdowns in a corner of the school because I knew it was coming to an end. And as the end was coming near, the school kept canceling classes last minute. And so I kept getting less and less time with them. And that upset me quite a bit every time. I was getting really annoyed, so frustrated. But the last day I saw my kids was their Christmas performance. We had worked so hard with them, memorizing their English lines and practicing their singing. And I felt like the proudest mama seeing them so brave up on that stage, showing off their skills and owning it and performing. They're adorable. But it came to an end too quickly. And some girls and I were just running around frantically trying to find any of our children with their parents to say goodbye and to give one last hug. And some kids stuck around for a while. So we ran around and danced and played for a bit. But I sobbed through it all. But the moment some of my older kids started to cry too just broke me. One of my boys that was always so sensitive and precious and always expressing so much love for me, he just kept coming back for another hug. And it got tighter and longer each time. He didn't want to say goodbye. And he probably gave me 30 hugs before he had to leave. And I was just an absolute wreck. And then I went back to school and my bags were already packed. And within less than an hour, I was on a train and I was gone. It was all over so quickly. And I didn't really get enough time to truly process my heartache and grief of parting ways. And probably the hardest part about this whole experience has been coming home, which for probably seven-eighths of my time in Thailand, I just dreaded going home. I did everything in my power to avoid even thinking about coming home because it scared me. 
And I just didn't even want to go there. Because for so long, Thailand was my next big thing. I had applied a year and a half in advance, and everything I did was just leading up to that. Preparing myself mentally, emotionally, working my butt off, saving money, collecting supplies to bring, etc. That was what I felt was right for the next step in life after graduation. And because I live according to the phrase, next right thing, one thing at a time, that was the next thing. And I hadn't thought of what was next for me after that because I was so focused on the one and only thing. So once Thailand was over, I had no clue where the direction of my life would take me. And that was a hard place to be. So whenever it was the one month mark or halfway mark or three weeks left, I panicked to soak up everything in my present and I avoided any conversations about going home or life at home. I numbed it out and distracted and avoided like no other. I dreaded that changed lifestyle and figuring out my next step. But then that changed (laughs) when we had about two weeks left. I started having a lot of anxiety and panic attacks because I just couldn't do it anymore. I couldn't keep on doing what I was doing, just getting by day by day. Day by day. I needed to go home, and I needed to be back in my place of comfort and support, surrounded by my people, my circle, my normal means of coping. I needed my alone time after living with roommates 24-7 for four months. And I just reached a breaking point and it gave me so much anxiety even thinking about staying two more weeks in Thailand. And everyone around me could tell. My roommates noticed how all of a sudden I didn't give two Fs. I was so done. I was over it and I couldn't hide it. And I had three panic attacks within two days. Just sobbing in the corner of a dark classroom after hours and I called my therapist and told her how I, how I needed to run. My anxiety was telling me to just get out of there and go home. I'd reached my limit, and I was on the verge of an even bigger, more severe mental breakdown if I ended up staying there for one more second than I did. And having one of my mental breakdowns in a foreign country by myself was a terrifying thought. I needed to be in my place of comfort and stability. And literally the only thing my therapist said after that was, come home, dear. You know your limits, and I know you, and I trust you. You need to get yourself home. So within 24 hours, I had a flight home a week earlier than I was supposed to, and just knowing that, I could breathe a little better. As soon as I was done teaching on a Friday and finished the performance and saying goodbye to my kids, I was on a train an hour later and then home by Saturday night. And the moment I landed in L.A. on American soil, I could breathe. I immediately felt lighter in that relief that I didn't have to endure and survive a second longer. felt so good. I couldn't stop smiling until I got home. But life wasn't a breeze once I got home. I didn't have alone time like I needed for probably two weeks after being home. Because everyone wanted to catch up and spend time with me. And it was the holidays. And I had 
four different sets of people coming to visit and stay at my house. And then I was in Utah for a couple of days. It was just absolute chaos. Plus, the culture shock hit me full force the moment I was home. I didn't experience hardly an ounce of jet lag or culture shock when arriving in Thailand, but I unexpectedly had such a hard time readjusting to American lifestyle. The jet lag killed me. I went to sleep at 4 a.m., woke up multiple times a night for hours at a time, and then I'd sleep until 1 in the afternoon, and it was all sorts of messed up. And I was so overwhelmed with everything back home, and that's an understatement. A day after being home, I went to the mall with my mom to get some warm clothes because I left during the summer and I was living in humidity. And then on top of that, I had outgrown a lot of my jeans and clothes. So I needed a few new things to get by the last of the cold. But again, I was having some major anxiety and I would panic if my mom left my side. I was hooked to her hip because it was really overwhelming for me to be in this busy mall where everyone spoke English and everything was supposed to feel familiar, yet it felt foreign. Plus, I didn't know what I liked, what was in style, what felt like me. So I was super indecisive and my brain was all over the place. And also the prices just really rocked me because Thailand was so cheap. (laughs) And I could get food and clothes and souvenirs for crazy cheap. I can't even... It's so cheap, guys. (laughs) And so seeing like a t-shirt costing 30 bucks, I was like, are you kidding me? I could get that for four bucks in Thailand. Why would I spend 30 bucks on that? So I was just really overwhelmed and shaken up. And I just asked to go home and I curled up in a ball and just kind of cried because I was overwhelmed and I did not expect to be. And then (sighs) it was really frustrating and honestly almost isolating interacting with people once I came home because I got two questions over and over again. One being, how is Thailand? And like, think about it. How do you respond to that? How do you sum up four months into a sentence or two? It felt like the, hey, how are you? Good. How are you? Good kind of conversation like the polite question to ask without actually listening or caring for the answer and it never really felt genuine I honestly don't know how to respond because this wasn't some week-long vacation I lived there for four months I had an apartment a bedroom a place to go home to every night I had my local favorites and was comfortable with my city and surroundings I had a routine and responsibilities and it can't be summed up into good or bad because it was all the things it was a roller coaster of experiences and emotions but I don't think a lot of people really understood that so there was this disconnect and then the second question I I get I still get is what's your plan now And I don't know. I'm taking life one day at a time. Next right thing, one thing at a time. When I don't have a pretty answer all packaged up with a bow for them, it's uncomfortable and feels disappointing. And then I go into this panic like I need to know and have the next 10 years of my life figured out and planned. And and then I feel like a loser and a failure that I don't have it all planned out. 
But the thing is, I just have to keep telling myself I'm young and I have a whole lot of life ahead of me. And I'm, I'm working my butt off again to save up money to fund my passions and my dreams in the future. And I'm volunteering again to be able to help and do what I feel called to do. I'm hustling on the side, working on my podcast and future coaching and working to get certified as a yoga instructor. You know, I'm working on myself and connecting to my inner self and I'm sifting through what no longer feels like me and uncovering new aspects to myself. And then because I opened up my crisis of self and faith while in Thailand, I was in a really shaken up state coming home where how I view everything within me, around me, my relationships, my entire worldview, it was changing and shifting. I didn't feel like I fit into that place that I left behind because I felt and am so different. I feel as if I woke up one day a total changed person, but the other people, even those close to me, can't physically see that. Because it's just this feeling within my soul. And so, one, it's hard to explain to outsiders. But that, two, there's this resistance of feeling like I have to live out other people's expectations and perceptions and opinions of who they think I am. Even though now it doesn't feel right and aligned with my soul. You know, when people say, like, you're different or you've changed with a tone of underlying judgment or disappointment and how change has a negative connotation attached to it in that case. And so it doesn't feel like other people's vision of who I am matches up with the real version of myself anymore. And so that's really hard. And I I say the mantra next right thing, one thing at a time. But I think before I was applying it to the chapters of my life and the big steps But right now, I have to apply it on a day-to-day, breath-to-breath basis. The next right thing is tomorrow. And I'm only going to focus on that one thing instead of overwhelming myself with months of preparation in advance. I can focus on the intention and purpose behind each new inhale and exhale. And that's all that really matters right now. But I've really just been in this weird middle state ever since being home and just struggling and trying to explore all these unknowns and new aspects to myself. And I've also really struggled to get readjusted to my habits and routines of self-care and regular living. And I still don't necessarily know why, but I was in all these new circumstances living abroad. I I got out of practice with those seemingly simple things that help me flourish and soulfully thrive on a regular day-to-day basis. So I think that's a factor as to why it's taken me so long to get back into podcasting because I've had no motivation or self-discipline to even do the things that make me feel good and get back into doing those things. And I'm going to give this topic a whole episode to itself to discuss navigating that stuck feeling. So I'll stop that here. But after reflecting on my time in Thailand and the year 2019 as a whole, I was filled and overwhelmed with gratitude. 
I realized that I visited a total of eight countries in 2019. I began and ended the year immersing myself in new cultures and experiences, and I'm so grateful for the insight and growth that it brought me. From traveling to Argentina, Brazil, and Uruguay with my family for New Year's, to my senior trip in Costa Rica, to living in Thailand, and traveling to Bali, Cambodia, and lastly, Vietnam. I wouldn't have changed a single thing. A year of travel and exploration manifested through hard work and determination feels so incredibly good. And on that note, we're going to end this episode. So I hope you forgive me for not releasing a new episode for the last two months. I hope this makes up for it in some way, explaining where I've been at and my thoughts and everything I've experienced and learned in a nutshell. So I'm really excited to get back into podcasting and to deliver the content that you guys need, but also that I need. I have some really spectacular interviews coming up and I'm really excited to share them with you and I have a lot of ideas for personal episodes as well. I'm writing every day (laughs) on so many different topics that I want to be able to share. So thanks for listening and tune in next time. I hope this podcast left you feeling empowered, better understood, and less alone in this crazy thing called life. If you like what you hear, leave a rating or review and share it with your friends. Thanks for listening and tune in next time.